Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 220. Well, just ahead, we're going to look at a payroll processor with some problems. Companies called Paycor HCM talked about why the stock is feeling the pain. And Macy's warns that its once flush customers are choking on credit card debt. And a fascinating conversation with a return guest, VSE Corporation CEO John Cuomo talks to us about the business of airplane parts. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T dot com to learn more. All right, I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill. Now we explain the business stories behind stocks in a move. And to help me do that today, our friend, Siobhan Field. Joining us, uh, as you could tell, a little bit of Australian going on there. But uh, Siobhan's a, a former colleague of mine uh, uh, from Bloomberg. She's a business journalist. She's written for Forbes and USA Today. She's a systems thinker, a PhD candidate, a behavioral scientist. We're lucky to have you, Siobhan. All of the things. Thank you, Corey Johnson. It's wonderful to be reunited with you. And uh, I'm excited to be back on the drill down. Talk to your listeners. Can they can they tell I'm smiling ear to ear? I'm very happy. Oh, well, isn't that sweet? Yes, Corey and I uh, worked for some time together over a, at Bloomberg. And uh, here we are, the dynamic duo reunited. Absolutely. Corey, what stocks are you drilling down on today? Well, I want to start with Paycor HCM. Okay, Paycor HCM. It trades with the ticker PYCR with a market cap of about $4.1 billion. Shares were up 5% today, but for the last 12 months, shares are down 25%. So what is the story with Paycor HCM, Corey? Well, so the, mar- the stock market story is that this was a growth company where revenues were on the rise. Now, Paycor HCM, HCM stands for Human Capital Management. Uh, but really just think of this as a payroll processor taking business from the likes of ADP or paychecks. Now, their focus has historically been on small and medium-sized businesses, particularly in the Midwest, but they've been kind of moving up market, or at least talking about moving up market. And it looked like they had some fantastic results last year, upwards of 31% revenue growth. But if you looked a little more carefully, and I think a lot of investors did not, you look under the covers, you'd notice that a lot of those gains coming from increased interest uh, payments, which is uh, which they roll up into revenues. So Paycor, as a, as a processor of payrolls, sits on lots of customer cash. And when rates shot up last year, so did Paycor's interest revenues. But now that interest rates have settled down, Paycor's interest revenue growth rate has, uh, you know, taken a face plant. It's down about 26%. And that, uh, it's still growing, but nowhere near what the, it had been. And uh, that has taken some of the wind out of the stock price. Uh, the company, uh, talking about that a little bit in their recent conference call, 
a suggestion that maybe maybe they're not going to be able to get so much out of this uh, this interest uh, payments as they had in the past. Here is a Paycor's CFO, Adam Ante. Yeah, so as we're thinking about interest income, uh, this quarter we generated about 414 basis points um, of interest income on our client funds. And on the full year, we're, we're probably expecting something similar to that, as you might see a couple increases, a couple decreases. And we tried to factor that into our guide for the full year. Um, so not not going to see a ton of incremental lift, um, and, and you'll see a little bit more in the first half of the year, of course, than you will in the second half of the year. Um, but I think that's going to be marginal contribution to the overall growth. Um, and then I would say broadly, we want to try to keep our performance relative to our guide and our cadence the same as what we've been able to achieve over the last you know, a couple of years as a public company. So, um, you know, we, we want to be a little bit conservative, not include, in, you know, upside in the labor market uh, growth. Um, but there's a little bit of room, of course, to overperform um, as we get into the year. So, yeah, a little conservative. That's one thing these guys have not been is a little bit conservative, uh, lowering their, their uh, estimates as to what's going to happen for the rest of the year. Uh, and really that interest income that sort of, I think, surprised a lot of people on Wall Street who weren't uh, recognizing that that was a variable growth lever that is no longer going to be a growth lever for this company. Yeah, very interesting, Corey. You'd, I mean, you'd think they'd break that out more. You'd think they would have said, look, we've rate, rates are up, and so we've got this interest income, but don't count on it next year because rates are not going to keep going up forever. But uh, that was not the way they couched it. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at Macy's. Okay, Macy's. It trades with the ticker M and has a market cap of, cap of about $3 billion. Our shares were down about 12% in the last two days since reporting earnings. So for the last 12 months, shares are down 35%. What's the story with Macy's? Yeah, so uh, the company announced the second quarter results sales uh, of just $5 billion. It's down 8% from the year before. Uh, one of the reasons, they're blaming a decline in international visitors to their big stores, in particular in uh, Herald Square in New York City, uh, and that Harold, that uh, those international visitors that it had been three to four percent of sales now less than two percent of sales, uh, three to four percent before COVID uh, and the pandemic uh, and the resulting excitement around that. But uh, the real story here, I thought, was fascinating. Was Macy's credit card customers? Their customers are broke, and a bunch of them cannot handle their credit card bills anymore. Uh, and in, and one of the reasons is because Macy's charges these customers almost thirty-two percent a year for the interest rates on these cards. And uh, so many of their customers can't pay it back. Macy's is just writing off those losses. Um, and uh, their second credit, uh, quarter credit card sales uh, were down 36% from the prior year because their customers just couldn't use those cards anymore. Um, and it seemed to me, I'll let our listeners, you know, see what you think of what this sounded like to me. But to me, it sounded like uh, on the conference call, the company seemed to suggest things are only going to get worse. Here's Macy's CFO, Adrian Mitchell. There are things that we cannot control, which I think gets very much into what you're describing around the health of the consumer, and that's the macro environment. So the macro environment really is having the lion's share of the impact on credit and is a real indicator of where we think the health of the consumer is and supporting our cautious approach. But one metric we find quite interesting is the debt service ratio, which we leverage as a proxy for the consumer's ability to pay debt using their disposable income, personal income. So this is about credit card balances. This is about student loans, which we know is gonna come into focus in the next month or two, auto loans, mortgage. 
So we just believe that the customer is coming under pressure because these are new realities that they have to continue to deal with as we get through the back half of this year and move into next year. So Siobhan, I think um, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens um, with the resumption of of student loan payback, student loan, something I think you and I both know a lot about. Um, I know more about them now that I've got kids in college, another kid in college this week. Um, but um, uh, yeah. you know, having to resume these payments, is going to take a pinch. Money's going to come from somewhere and it's not going to be plowing back into the economy. And I think we're going to see not just Macy's talking about this in the next few months. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the student loan cliff is is fast approaching and um, a lot of people are hurting out there. So paying off the uh, the shopping bills, the, shop, the credit card bills is not going to be easy for everyone. Corey, what you got for your next drill down? Let's look at LoveSack. Yes, that's a publicly traded company, LoveSack. All righty, you know LoveSack. I don't know this one, uh, but uh, it does trade with the ticker LOVE, and um, I do love that, with a market cap of about $350 million. Shares were down 6% today, but for the last 12 months, shares are down 31%. So what is happening with LoveSack, Corey? Yeah, what's not to love? with this company making, they make these big beanbag chairs. Yeah. Well, yeah. So they, they make the, the big one, the super sack, the movie sack, and they make these weird couches they call not sectionals, but sectionals. Oh, Uh, very cute. I do love a beanbag. I I gotta say. I think this thing is ridiculous myself, but anyway, um, last week, uh, they announced in a press release without a conference call, that they had screwed up their accounting and overstated their profits last year. The company somehow thought it could capitalize some shipping expenses, which of course gave an artificial boost to operating earnings of somewhere between two and $3 million. Uh, they're still not sure of the size of it, uh, but those are were fake earnings that they are now gonna have to restate. Now the stock was briefly down 15% on that news and then bounced back, but uh, the company also announced, uh, uh, previously announced that their 58-year-old CFO, who was behind that fascinating accounting, will be retiring. 58 is a nice time to retire, I suppose. Uh, although mostly the rest of the management is older and not retiring. But in the last conference call, here's the CEO, Sean Nelson, congratulating the team, not on doing a great job of building the business, but just on on their relationship with Wall Street and beating expectations. Here's uh, Lovesack CEO, Sean Nelson. I just want to take a moment again to thank our dedicated hashtag Lovesack family and team who have proven their ability to beat expectations with consistency. We are proud of these continued category-leading results, particularly in the current macro landscape. These results, along with what we've seen so far in Q2, give us the confidence to reiterate our full-year guidance and continue to invest prudently in our initiatives to drive future growth, even as we are surely taking significant market share in real time based on these numbers. So a CEO focused on beating Wall Street numbers rather than, I don't know, Growing the business, I always think that that's worth noting. I was, Siobhan, I was once short a company where, um, I was short the stock. It was, a, it was a company that made like slot machines or something like that. And I saw a picture of the CEO at his desk and at his, behind his desk was a big green street sign. It didn't say Las Vegas Strip. It didn't say this hometown. It said Wall Street. I thought if this guy's focused on Wall Street, not focused on growing his slot machine business, this might be a good company to short. In any case, um, uh, Love Sack uh, talking about Beating expectations with consistency. That's also easier if you don't do your accounting right. 
Yeah, some creative accounting, a, a, a little bit of a red flag there. So uh, good to learn about Lovesack and what's happening. I, I love the company, you know, I, I like the idea, uh, but I think the accounting uh, methods, there's Obviously a, little, a problem. Yeah, l- l- not much love for that. It's also worth noting that Sean Nelson is CEO. Uh, first, uh, I uh, got to be known as a, a contestant on uh, Richard Branson's uh, uh, brief uh, TV show, The Rebel Billionaire, which was like a, a an apprentice wannabe show mm. on Fox that lasted all of one season. But he boasts about this in the actual like proxy statements of the uh, of Love Sack that he was once on a reality TV show. Also, never seen that before. Yes, and and a, a false sense of reality in the numbers he's putting together for the company too. <laughs> so very well done. Very interesting. Uh, All right, well, okay. coming up next, we're going to take a look at the VSE Corp. We've had this company on before in the early days of this podcast. Uh, John Cuomo came on. The stock's gone uh, had a, a nice run up 25% since the first time this company was on. They are, they're in the business of fixing, uh, making parts available for the repair of airplanes and helicopters and other stuff. A military business, it's very interesting. A fleet management business, very interesting. A very interesting conversation with the VSE Corp's John Cuomo right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight, ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by the CEO of VSE Corporation, Victor Sam Edward Corporation. John Cuomo joins us right now, the CEO. And uh, uh, John, uh, VSE, interesting company. You're one of our rare repeat guests. Uh, yeah, um, I just heard that. It, That's I feel honored. Well, because I told you when we were setting up that the rest <laughs> of our guests are just jerks. But that's not true. We've had lots of great people and probably a few jerks. They're all nice to me. Um, but I'm grateful to have you back on the show. And I wanted to have you back on the show because your story, your company story is so interesting. You know, how's your business and how has it changed in the last two yeah, years? Yeah, I mean, well, a lot of changes. You're talking about military. It's 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 a very complicated space. But more than that, you know, I've been with this business for over three years, 60-year-old business that needed a lot of help and um, support in kind of getting to its next level. I describe it as kind of a, an old house that needed a lot of renovation, um, like the one I'm sitting in right now. But the we have actually made the decision in the last month or so to exit our defense business. So it's interesting that we start with defense. So we've we've really focused our business over the last few years and see where the market needs us the most. And it's really um, in aerospace. So we'll still touch defense. We'll still be a part of defense. But really, the aerospace supply chain, as the markets start to recover, as Airbus and Boeing start to build more airplanes, we see the supply chain in aerospace as an opportunity for us to continue to scale. So we decided to kind of exit one of our businesses and go dive deeper into uh, one of our other business segments. How are the businesses different? The defense business and the aerospace business? Yeah. Or all of my businesses? <laughs> no, well, those two in particular. Yeah, you know, uh, you know, what I would say is is that the defense business that that exists at VSE today is a commoditized business. We do work for the Army, we do work for the Navy, we do work for the Air Force. It's an outstanding business, but it it doesn't connect as well to the supply chain value proposition that we believe the markets need the most. And in our aerospace business, it's really about parts and repair. 
How do we get products to customers that, that need them, whether they're flying an airplane, fixing an airplane, or using it in some way, shape, or form? And then how do we repair things that go on airplanes? So where we see the biggest opportunity right now, where the biggest gaps are, both everything you're reading out there in terms of labor and supply chain issues, which I think we spoke during the COVID time periods, and we've seen some bit of a recovery in those areas, but still uh, a tremendous amount of issues and concerns that are going to hold back those markets. And that's where VSE steps in to support our end user customers with both new products and repair of existing products. Um, you so, guys seem to run a business. I, I talked recently with a CEO of um, Simpson Manufacturing. They make products for housing uh, construction, basically. Um, uh, I'm oversimplifying it, but they, they've got tens of thousands of SKUs. They are not afraid of complexity uh, and, and offering lots and lots of products. And you guys, I would say, are similar maybe? Similar in the sense of we really at this point in time don't focus on manufacturing. Our focus is all on distribution and repair as we move forward. But where we're similar is the complexity of everything that goes on an aircraft. Um, you know, anything that goes on an aircraft obviously has a high barrier of entry in terms of quality. Every part has a unique and different story. And where we come in is to make sure we know that story, understand that story, whether it's a um, hydraulic unit or a pneumatic unit that's moving oxygen or air or liquid through an airplane, um, whether it's a um, actuation system part that opens the door, or opens a cargo door or the front door of a, or the, you know, entry door of an aircraft and right. why are each part different, um, how they, how they're utilized different, how we can support them from a repair perspective and how their supply chains are different so that we can keep that product moving in the industry. Supply chains have gotten uh, really a lot of it evened out from what we see. Every once in a while we'll see a company miss their earnings results and, and not deliver what they promised and blame the supply chain. But other than that, I don't see as much concern about supply chain as we saw even six months ago. What do you say? Correct. Now, now I've just set you up to see if you were going to say there were problems. I set you up to look like a moron, but no. So you're saying, I want to, want to know what, what, what does it look like for you guys right now? I think I, I feel that there is an improvement in supply chain. I think in aerospace specifically, new build of aircraft hasn't really started to hit its uh, sweet spot yet. And it's the same yeah. people that make the parts for the people like that use the airplanes, like American Airlines or someone flying a Gulfstream jet, um, as people who are building the airplanes. And it's that supply chain is going to feel that strain as new aircraft you know, start to continue to, to, that build rate start to continue to increase. And that increase will happen. I'm heading to the Paris Air Show tonight and it's, you know, there's expected to be a large announcements. And, you know, how does that supply chain get impacted? Is That's where we kind of come in and fit. I'd say the bigger thing that we haven't seen a positive recovery on is labor. You know, these are technical businesses and you saw, um, you know, an exodus of labor and that labor gap still exists in, within most of the you know original manufacturers, equipment manufacturers that are making a lot of that complicated product that is needed for aerospace and defense. And does that slow the, uh, uh, they can't just turn it back on if the people who build the planes aren't, aren't available? Uh, what, what do you it mean? slows that, that kind of... Well, it slows that kind of recovery, like the notion that yeah. there's going to be a big recovery in the aerospace industry because they can suddenly sell the plans they're making and and ramp up production. They can't ramp up production if they don't have the people to make them. And it's going to exactly take a while right. to train the new people. Exactly right. Without the labor to get the aircraft built and to continue the repair. And on the flip side, not what I do, the pilots actually be trained to fly them. You, you will not see the markets re recover uh, to their full extent of what the demand is out there uh, for you know, and, and the necessity out there uh, and the capacity that exists out there. 
What are the things that you look at to monitor that uh, uh, demand around the corner? You know, we are I'm hoping it's something really weird like smokestacks or <laughs> You know, we're in, in a parking lot in the third so shift. It's similar to like when you go to Amazon and you buy uh, paper towels. You know, Amazon didn't really know you needed that paper towel until you place that order. And then when you placed it, you wanted to deliver two hours from now. We're a very, very similar model. So the amount of big data that we use um, to analyze, you know, our customers coming in and looking for products, what's the trend of customers placing products on order? And really the, the, the metrics that we look out there in the market is how, how many, you know, so they call it revenue passenger miles, how much, you know, are planes actually flying and there's data talking about takeoffs and landings at every airport. And we look, look at that data, both for business, commercial, um, huh. you know, aircraft, as well as military and defense. And those are kind of the leading indicators to say, hey, we're going to need more products and more repair is going to hit the market. And where do we as VSE want to invest to be prepared to support that supply chain? So with the newer planes, let's call it just, I, I, I don't I know my Airbuses like I know my Boeings, but with the 787 and the 777, yeah. bigger part of, of, of the fleets at, at United and American and, else, and elsewhere, um, are, are the kinds of repairs those planes need very different from uh, the 757 and, and, and others? Well, I'd say that there's, from a structure perspective, when you're looking at a 787 and this comparable Airbus aircraft, the A350, you know, there's right. more composite nature. You know, they don't like to use the word plastic, but, it, you know, it's a more composite aircraft in some way, shape, or form. Well, than literally like, the, kyber far, the, the carbon fiber shell of the plane yeah. and everything, yeah. So you're, so you're seeing less structural, you're seeing different structural repairs if and when they're needed. But I would tell you about beyond that, the systems, whether it's an avionic system, a hydraulic system, pneumatic system, it, it's, you know, it's, it's slightly different, but yet all the same. And what is that inability of, of, of those, the presumably the inability of Boeing to get the, all the workers trained that they need also extends the ability of, of people making the repairs in the planes and the, and the airlines and so on. What does that mean for your business? Well, what it means for our business is if we are, if we can be ahead of the game, you know, we're smaller, but we're well capitalized. We're very agile. We're very nimble. So where larger companies and larger partners of ours, you know, struggle to move at the speed that we do, you know, being able to move faster in the market to solve problems in different ways. You know, during COVID, I think we spoke during COVID, you know, why aviation business was hit the hardest. We didn't, we scaled that business to pretty much break even. We invested in that business during COVID and the biggest investment was keeping the talent on board because we knew this was a temporary issue. We didn't know the when and when the recovery would happen, but we knew that at the end of the day, Technical talent is always a gap, and we needed to make sure we kept that talent active and ready as the markets return. On the flip side, it costs money, but having the right parts on the shelf um, as we see that recovery happen as well. So it's all about labor and product for us, and those are the, two, the key indicators. We look at a bunch of key indicators, but that's where our investments go um, each and every day. Now, we haven't talked about your fleet business. Let's. Tell us about your fleet business. How's it going? Why don't you describe it and then uh, tell us how it's going? Yeah, so that business is essentially, it's all distribution. Um, we're supporting mostly medium and heavy duty uh, vehicle uh, with, you know, every part you could possibly imagine, similar to that other supplier you mentioned earlier. You know, in this business, we have more, you know, closer to six figures of, screw, of SKUs rather than five figures of SKUs. So a large number of products that we support end users with. But really, we focus this business through COVID on uh, on e-commerce. You know, again, everybody thinks of their business to consumer world. 
what we saw in our fleet and our automotive businesses, this market really shifted to e-commerce faster than the market anticipated during COVID. And um, we've really focused on accelerating that growth. So when we, I think probably the last time we spoke, we literally, you know, our commercial business was zero about four years ago. This year, we'll do about $150 million. So tremendous growth. We've stood up a 250,000 square foot facility in Memphis to support that uh, the, the growth that's ahead. Um, new ERP systems, a tremendous amount of investment in inventory, and really excited about the next phase of, of that business. And, and it's fun to be ahead of uh, the curve or with the curve as a market's changing. And again, uh, a lot of e-commerce opportunity for that, for that business. Our core business, though, has re- remained intact and really been strong as right. well. So uh, a, a great Postal, business for BSC. U.S. Postal Service is a huge part of that, right? Correct. U.S. Postal Service it remains the largest customer for us, um, and we remain a very large and critical supplier in their supply chain. Um, it, it's interesting. What's your view on? I don't. I don't. I hate it when I'm watching uh, uh, filling the name of the business net, TV network. One of the places I used to work. I used to work at CNBC and Bloomberg. But I hate it when um, uh, they will ask macroeconomic questions of a of a of a business leader instead of find out more about that business. But I am curious about all these expansion plans in the face of uh, what many economists expect to be a recession. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a great question. Well, let's, let's first talk with my, my largest cl- uh, customer, which is the USPS. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, six days a week, the USPS, with the exception of, you know, closed holidays, which are very few and far between, they are supporting each of us every day. And it's not just why the USPS was traditionally founded was to serve us with mail. You know, they're, they're delivering, you know, medicine and packages every day. And, you know, they're essentially doing what UPS and FedEx are doing. But there's a lot less recession risk with a customer like that. On, on the other thing that we see in our business is that, you know, obviously we call them watch items. You got to, you know, keep your eyes on what's happening in, the, in those markets. Could e-commerce in general shrink and therefore, you know, those medium and heavy duty, you know, all those tractor trailers you see moving part uh, um, product around the U.S. specifically, could that market start to compress? It could, and we continue to watch it. We've seen some ebbs and flows, but it hasn't negatively impacted our business. Why not is what you're seeing today and what you continue to see tomorrow is people are going to use their transportation assets in a greater way. So what I mean by that is, you know, if, if you felt your business was a little bit at risk, you're not going to go buy a new car. Same thing with our commercial customers. They're not going to go buy new trucks um, and they're not going to go buy new airplanes. So what that means is they're going to use and abuse those existing transportation assets harder, which is exactly where an aftermarket player like VSC fits in. So I wouldn't say that that we're agnostic to a recession. What I say right. is we watch it, but we see opportunities in both areas for our business to maintain, you know, both maintain stability as well as grow through those trends. And let me ask you finally, take it all the way back to the federal and, and defense divestiture you've got planned. What's it like trying to sell a big business like that right now um, in an environment where, where PE is struggling uh, in some um, some respects, certain uh, investments worse than others, um, and rates are higher than they were and maybe uh, others are adjusting to that as well? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I'd say that, well, w- within two days, we announced um, a sale of one of our businesses and a $94 million acquisition to support our aviation right. business. So it was interesting in the acquisition to compete against mostly sponsors, private equity sponsors, and to be in a position where, you know, as a public company who was well capitalized, 
you know, in the last cycle, so to speak, they had all the power and I was in a power position because I brought certainty of closure to the table because my funding was essentially, you know, in my pocket. And I do believe it, it gave me an advantage in that acquisition. On the flip side, I'd say it was, you know, you, you have a, an asset that you're trying to exit and it, it was selling it to a sponsor was not the easiest. I think what we found the right sponsor. And you got, you got half cash, a hundred million dollar deal, half cash up front, half in an earnout. Correct. Correct. And, um, you know, I think, so the earnout structure, I think helped in this model. Um, I also think finding a sponsor who really saw the future of this business. This is a business that, that has a lot of upside to it. It was a lot for me, you know, in a small cap public company to focus on three separate segments right now. But I think the sponsor felt, wow, there's a lot of upside here. So with the structure of the deal and the amount of upside that's out there, you know, that, that the asset made sense, but you're, you're, you're correct. It's uh, an interesting timing to be in the market. May we live in interesting times. Well, mission accomplished. Uh, John, thank you so much. John Colombo, CEO of VSE Corporation. Appreciate your time. Appreciate it. Thanks again for uh, giving me a second shot here. Yeah, man. Well, this time you nailed it. <laughs> no, people can listen to the old interview. You should hear them that time, but this time you were on top of it. John Cuomo, thank you very much. Coming up next on the Drill Down the Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about VSE. After this. Brain Trust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Brain Trust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams and doing it fast at a fraction of the cost. With Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. All right, we are back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot. Uh, Siobhan, um, this company uh, in the midst of this turnover, doing a, a turnaround by uh, John Cuomo and, and getting rid of that big military business, still doing some military servicing, of, uh, of parts and so on, um, uh, but also doing a big acquisition and a, and a stock offer, an equity offering. Uh, their balance sheet needs to do all this stuff because it's kind of a mess. I mean, they really, they have too much debt, which they're not going to pay off, and they just weren't generating free cash flow. How bad was the free cash flow this company once created all the time? Well, there's your number, $51.5 million in negative free cash flow over the last year. But the company says that's going to turn around by the end of this year. They'll be uh, in the second half of this year. Like right now, they're going to start generating free cash uh, for the first time in a long time. Uh, it's got to be good news for VSE and for its shareholders. Yeah, absolutely. Goodness me, $51 million. That's, uh, that's quite something to, to behold. Indeed. Uh, I'll, I'll post on my Twitters this week where you'll see the kind of long green columns of free cash flow creation that suddenly turned into the red uh, in the last few years, but it looks like it's going to go back to the green, at least what they're saying, for the remainder of this year. Hey, we're grateful for your time uh, listening to the Drill Down Podcast. I'm Corey Johnson. Siobhan Field is that lovely voice you hear uh, on the other side. Uh, Siobhan, what have you, what do you got coming up? Anything to uh, promote here? Any anything? Any new articles you can talk about yet? Oh, I'm working on, you know, uh, Corey, it's gender pay day tomorrow. Sorry, pay equality day. And oh really? So I, yes, yes. Equal pay day. That's that's what we're calling it uh, in Australia, and uh, it's tomorrow. So I'm working on a piece about that. The professional sports teams in Australia are leading the way on um, on pay equity. Uh, so that's a really interesting one. You may have been watching the uh, Matildas at the recent World Cup, the yeah. Women's World Cup down under. Yes. Um, so yeah, get they online. Far, check out some the US of those team. stories. What's that? 
they did well, like the U.S. team. They did. They did well. They they had a lot of hometown love here um, in Sydney and Melbourne. The games were played all over the country, and um, and they're just beloved. So uh, yeah, I'm sorry the U.S. didn't didn't do as well, but there is always next time, isn't there? That's sports. All right. Well, thank you, Siobhan. We appreciate that. Uh, Isaac Webster is still our executive producer. Siobhan is our uh, Siobhan is not our editor. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. The Drill Thanks, Downs production of the Business Podcast Network.